Welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about potions. The class. Yay. But also the potions. Yeah. Yeah. So this is another of our subject series, which has been very long and drawn out, but that's what it is. Yeah. We owe it. We are running out of episode ideas, so I'm going to put a call to all the listeners out there. If there's something you want us to talk about and we haven't already talked about it, or if there's an episode that you want us to redo because we have talked about doing those, specifically the Ron and Luna episodes, let us know because we need some. We need your help. <laughs> we're struggling. <laughs> yeah. We just, we're trying to brainstorm and we had a hard time, so yeah, we need some inspiration. So, our patron shout-out of the episode is Salvador. Um, I think that, on that note, Salvador would want us to redo our Percy episode <laughs> and be a lot kinder, so. <laughs> Probably. Probably true. Speaking of Patreon, just super quickly, I'll shout-out our Patreon. You can find us and support us on Patreon. If you go to the patreon.com like, webpage and then search for Wizard Studies, we do have a couple different tiers up there about how much you want to support us. Um, and just a little plug for our next Patreon episode of the month for March is going to be all about the Yule Ball chapter in Goblet of Fire. So I know I'm very excited to talk about a chapter from Goblet of Fire specifically. <laughs> <laughs> and the Yule Ball chapter is really fun. We can talk a lot about like the dynamic between Hermione and Ron in that chapter. I believe that's the chapter when we learn about... Hagrid's ancestry so it should be a good episode so if you are so inclined and want to hear us talk about the Yule Ball chapter of in Goblet of Fire you can don or support us by giving us five dollars a month is the tier for the extra episode yeah and you'll also have access to all of our backlog of previous extra episodes as well so you won't just get the ones from here and out once you're a patron you have access to past ones as well yeah so our only other announcement of the week is not super HP related, but I just want to like call call to arms, call to attention. Um, there recently has been, and this isn't just a recent problem, but it's getting a lot of attention recently. Um, there recently has been a really disturbing number of bills in U.S. state legislatures, um, and like this is an international problem as well. Um, but the the goal of these bills is to attempt to exclude trans people, specifically like trans women and girls, from participating in sports, um, starting at the youth level, going all the way up through college and like um, higher level sports too. So this is extremely problematic. Um, there are countless people just trying to use women's sports to inflict violence upon trans people and specifically trans youth, which is like some of the most concerning. Um, and I mean, this is relevant because Katie and I both care a lot about sports. We both try to be the best allies we can be to the trans community. Um, and of course we know how the trans community is relevant to Harry Potter, um, in unfortunate ways, but 
Um, a lot of the work we are like seeing to put these bills into legislators legislatures is being led by this group called the Women's Sports Policy Working Group, which is masquerading as like trying to protect cis women but also like include trans people but that's not what they're doing um their argument is very transphobic and appalling um and this kind of just discrimination is very similar to the rhetoric that we see perpetrated by people like jk rowling and um like someone who's in the this policy working group is Martina Navratilova, who is a very famous tennis player, um, former tennis player. So these kind of celebrities and people with following saying these things is super dangerous because it normalizes it. And then you see that, you see that on the personal level with um, attacks and transphobic actions and hate crimes and you see that on the politics and state level with stuff like these bills so I just want to please 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 tell everyone to please go to transathlete.com um, it's this really great website with a lot of resources you can see if there are any of these bills being considered in your state or the states of people that you know when you can alert them um, if there is one in your state like contact your state legislators like keep doing the best you can be to be an ally to the trans community and just tell people and spread the word that trans people belong in sports and specifically trans women belong in women's sports and the voices, the loud voices of the few people saying that they are not, um, or not just few, but there are a lot of people, <laughs> but tell them that the people think that trans people belong in sports and that is just a really important and like I know I'm getting all ranty um but yeah this is a big um issue and I think it'd be great if we can all chip in it's like super easy just go to transathlete.com they have a map they have a whole list um and you can send emails to your elected officials because they're there to serve you <laughs> Yeah, we, I believe we pay their paychecks, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I think that both Audrey and I, like she kind of mentioned, we're both, we both love sports and I'm a big proponent in how important it is for young children to be exposed to sports and given the chance, like I believe that all children should be given the chance to be active and practice teamwork in a sports environment. And I don't think that's limited to just cisgender children. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to have sports as a place for everybody. Yeah. And, um, some of these bills are like really specifically targeting young kids. Um, I think the bill in Minnesota, I might've got my state wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Minnesota would make it a, a criminal misdemeanor or I guess misdemeanors aren't criminal. I don't know. It would make it a misdemeanor and it would show up on these kids records if they, um, tried to play sports or, um, go in the locker rooms of what, of the gender that they want to go into. Um, so if they are a trans girl and want to play a girl's sport, they want to go in the girl's locker room, it could actually become a misdemeanor if this was, bill was passed for them to do that. Um, even though we know that they are a girl if they want to be a girl. Um, yeah. And that's just like really disturbing and 
sports are so powerful and, and so helpful. I've taken classes in college, like about the importance of sport, yeah, and how much it can teach children, um, both on like a teamwork and just like physicality activity act activity aspects sorry I don't know why that was so difficult for me to say but just kind of like the camaraderie it teaches like it's a very good socialization tool for young children as Mm -hmm. well so I think there's nothing but benefits and positives for the most part for youth sports like it does have its drawbacks like I'm not going (laughs) on but well and I'll also just say one last thing um there's like research that's been done that Even this affects even people who like trans people and queer people who don't want to play sports like um, the in states where there are laws like prohibiting or policies prohibiting trans inclusion and just I think broadly LGBTQ inclusion in sports um, the like mental illness and suicide rates and everything like basically all of the bad bad things that there are statistics for are up in both the queer youth that do play sports and want to play sports and even ones that have no interest in sports so it's yeah. correlated to just overall well-being so even if you don't think that sports are important this is important yeah. <laughs> even if you never want to play sports in your life 100 percent. so I'm going to surprise Audrey with actually a little bit of announcement. It's not like I just I just remembered seeing an article about this right before we started recording and I thought that we could talk about it because we talked a little bit about it on, or a lot about it on a previous episode. So in relation to a Harry Potter additional media coming out, so I guess that the CEO of Warner Media like did a interview press conference type thing to, and it came out today and here is a quote from this. There's this little thing called Harry Potter, which is one of the most beloved franchises. And we're incredibly thankful to to be able to partner with J.K. Rowling. And so I would argue there's a lot of fun and potential there as well. So I think that like the media is obviously hyping up this quote as basically like we want. And I mean, I think this might be his intention as well. Kind of like we would love to do more Harry Potter media content Mm -hmm. and kind of my behind the scenes guess is that JK Rowling doesn't want to do any more content and the Warner Brothers is trying to like put pressure mm-hmm. on her by like leaking stuff to the public and seeing the public response to it and mm-hmm. basically trying to like force her hand like see how many millions of people shared our article talking about this that's my guess based on no more information than what I just said and read and what we've talked about before but that's my guess Hey, Warner Brothers, um, you should try and just get the rights from JK and totally sever her name from it, and then I will be so much more excited about it. Well, I wonder if that's part of what they're trying to do, like, if she will not, like, if she's, like, putting her foot down, like, no more stuff. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're trying to, like, also kind of put pressure on her, be like, we can produce more content, and the fans want it. If you just sell it to us, like I wonder and the if the fans don't want you involved. Yeah, the fans don't like you, <laughs> so I wonder if that's kind of also part of the like pressure that I could see that as well. Trying to like get her, like put pressure to get her to sell the rights. Yeah, yeah. So I'll just leave you with that. I think a lot of news <laughs> outlets are blowing it up. Obviously, clickbaity headlines. So be on the lookout for that. But that is the quote. What I think that the, all of the articles are referring to. So thank you for the hot take. 
welcome. I saw the article when I opened up Facebook to check our pop quiz, and I didn't oh, okay. click on it. Because I thought, I these things come up every now and again, and sometimes they're just not at all related to anything happening. So Yeah, no, I clicked on the, I remembered seeing the article, and so I Googled it, and then that, that's when I found the quote. I was like, okay, the quote is actually, like, a little bit of substance. You know, it's not just, yeah. like... Harry Potter, we love it. You know, it's not, <laughs> it is kind of like he would love to do more with it is what he was basically said. So yeah, I thought it was worth a mention. So getting right, started on the go. episode, I'm going to start with just some like general info about potions and why they're used. Um, so potions are, this is a quote, for, a direct quote from the wiki because I thought it was put so eloquently. Potions are magical mixtures commonly brewed in potions, or in cauldrons, sorry. Um, Potions can vary on their effects, um, their nature, and their brewing difficulty. And potions can be used as medicines, antidotes, poisoned, or imbue magical effect on the drinker. So like Felix Felicis, the strengthening solution, like imbue a magical effect on the drinker or whatever it's put on, depending on the like intake method like I think some can be like skin maybe or maybe I'm making that up because what I'm picturing is Snape talking about like dropping the swelling solution on Trevor but maybe he like meant like forcing down Trevor's throat (laughs) I don't know (laughs) maybe some stuff can be skin contact I guess that would be more of like a salve or a cream I don't know if those are considered potions (laughs) I don't know does it have to be liquid (laughs) for potions yeah. Well, like, just, like, a thick liquid. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know. I think that most of the ones that we know about are assumed to be... Like... Drank. Yeah. Imbibed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. Um, some benefits of using potions as opposed to, like, spells or charms are that anybody can use potions. It implied that, like... Even muggles can use potions, like they can't brew potions, but if you were to like give a muggle Felix Felicis and they drank it, like they would reap the benefits of the potion. Yeah. Well, I think Um, it's like, it would be like casting a charm on a muggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then also like you don't have to be the one to brew the potion to use it, so you can like buy Mm. these potions, whereas like spells and charms like you have. In theory, you would have to be the one to cast it if you want a certain desired outcome. Like, you could ask somebody else to do it, but, like, I don't know. It's, um, like, you don't have to be skilled to get the desired effects is kind of basically what it was alluding to because also potions are kind of like a more niche subject. So maybe you weren't as good at potions in school, but you want to, like, give a love potion to your crush at work like you can just buy a love potion you know I'm sure it's illegal but I guess Fred and George told him so maybe it's not illegal it should be illegal though (laughs) um you can also achieve things that magic can't so like it mentioned like polyjuice potion um and Felix Felicis are both things that you can only achieve the effect of through potions not actual like spells and charms and it did say that potion brewing does require wand work. So, like, you have to, like, every potion has a, like, magical, like, cast element to it. Which I don't think I know, and I don't know what the source was on this. So, I don't know if I, like, fully believe it. I saw that. But I could, like, buy it as the truth. Because in theory, like, it... muggles shouldn't be able to make potions. 
You yeah, know? but I think that might have been from a video game. Yeah, I'm sure it is not from a like from an actual source, but like I could buy it as being true because we're never told either way. Yeah. I don't think. Well, I guess Snape does say there's no frivolous like wand waving incantations, yeah. in but this like class. I'm pretty sure we know that there is some with potions that we know of. Maybe to I don't know. Maybe not. I don't think like there, we don't know a lot like strictly within canon of how it's done. Yeah, the only potion that we really see, or I guess there's maybe one in class that we see Harry kind of like read off the instructions for, and then Polyjuice Potion. But I think those are the only two times we really see like canon step by step instructions. Um, and then potion, it does say that potion work can be very dangerous though, because everything has to be like perfectly done to get the desired outcome. And I think the trouble with potions is that like you don't really know that it's perfectly correctly done until you try it, like until you like use the potion. Like I think mm-hmm. a lot of times like the color can vary or the consistency can vary and like at the end it should be like a lime green or whatever it is. But like you could still be like a nice like bright green but not quite lime green and so like it looks good enough but it may not actually it like it could yeah. have harmful effects but those are kind of the basics of just potions in the wizarding world yes yeah, so then more specifically at hogwarts of course we know that potions is a core class for years one through five um and there's like it's definitely got to be like the most expensive class at Hogwarts like there's a lot of required equipment um I'm pretty sure students have to buy their own cauldrons I don't know why there wouldn't just be like a class set of cauldrons because presumably I'm pretty sure they leave them in the classroom anyway because like the cauldrons are big like they're not like they are in the movies where they're just like on the table like the cauldrons, I think, are set up, like, next to the table in the book. So they're, they're, like, sitting on the floor and you, like, stand over them. Um, so I don't really understand why you have to buy your own cauldron, but sure. You also have to buy some of the ingredients while the others are, like, used from the school stores. And then, um, some of the books, these books are the ones we know, like, from within canon, um, magical drafts and potions, which is in Sorcerer's Stone, 1,000 magical herbs and fungi, which is in Sorcerer's Stone as well, and then advanced potion making, which of course is in Half-Blood Prince, um, and the authors on these books have, like, really great names, um, like, we always talk about etymology of names, and, like, these are, like, prime, so magical drafts and potions was by Arsenius Jigger, um, so arsenius, like arsenic, which, you know, kind of has like that potion, like toxic theme. Um, and then jigger is like the tool you use for bartending. It's like the hourglass shape where it's, um, two different size shot glasses, um, just for measuring alcohol. And then 1000 magical herbs and fungi was written by Philida Spore. So this is like, I don't know if this is book they get for, herbology but it like also can be used for potions because of the ingredients but philida is greek for plant and then spore obviously we know that like spores are produced by fungi um also apparently about her she was like in the goblet of fire movie her name is on a portrait in dumbledore's office so like maybe she was a headmistress at some point 
And then Advanced Potion Making was written by Libaceous Borage. So Libaceous, like libation, drinks. Um, and then Borage or Barrage um, is an herb said to produce excitement. So also according to Pottermore, um, Libaceous Borage was... Uh, South American and attended the Brazilian school um, Castelo Bruxo or however you say it. <laughs> I think it's Brujo because I think their actors are uh, silent. Yeah, that sounds right. Cast or Brujo. I've heard it pronounced both. Castelo Brujo. So yeah, then back to potions at Hogwarts. Um, for the OWLs, there's a written and a practical um, which is pretty standard, I think. In the practical exam, you have to make a potion. Um, on Harry's written exam, all we know is that there was a question about polyjuice potion and like the effects of it. Um, and Harry says that he, he was pretty sure he knew that one. Yeah, uniquely and... <laughs> placed to answer that question. <laughs> um, we don't, we're never told like what potion they had to make for the practical. And Snape required an outstanding to move on to the NEWT level. And Harry got exceeds expectations, which allowed him to continue only with Slughorn. Once Slughorn became potions master. Um, can we talk um, about how like messed up it is that teachers get to like arbitrarily decide which score? And it's not like a standard thing. Like, which score they're going to continue to take. Yeah, like, which yeah. scores they are allowed to take. Like, I'm pretty sure that if Snape had actually, like, if Harry's year to go to potion six year, if he'd required to have an O, like, it probably would have been, like, three or, like, two or three people. Yeah. So I think there's only, like, five or six in, with so, the two. Sorry. Sorry. There were 12 total. I'm, I'm oh, about okay. to get to that. <laughs> Um, but yes, it is messed up that it's totally arbitrary. And I think like Snape just set the bar so high because he like actually hated teaching, teaching and <laughs> he, well, he, I think he, and he just wanted to potions. minimize. Yeah. I, I don't think that he loved teaching defense against the dark arts either though. I don't think he did, but I think he took, like, pride in teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts. Mm. Like, when he, w you know, like, he at least got some satisfaction out of it. I think he was just, like, salty about potions because he wasn't, because that's what he had to teach. You know, I feel like he had growing resentment towards potions mm. that he wouldn't have towards DIDA. I guess, but I think, like, the core thing about teaching, like, yeah, you have to like the subject you're teaching, but, like, the first thing is that you have to like children, and he didn't, so, like, he <laughs> failed before he even got to the consideration of the subject. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but anyway, as I was saying earlier, so, um, the students we know that got OWLs, like, passed their OWLs in Harry's year, because they're the ones that ended up being in Slughorn's class, um... So there are 12 total. I think at some point in the books, apparently it says that there are 12 total. Um, four Ravenclaws. We know who two of those are. Terry Boot and Michael Corner. Why did I always think Michael Corner was the year below? Just because he dates Ginny, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe because he dated Ginny. Um, so we don't know who the other two Ravenclaws are. There are four Slytherins, apparently. Um, we know three of them. They're Malfoy. Theodore Knott and Blaise Zabini. 
I, we know and, that they're not crab or goil, the last one. Yes. I'm pretty sure there's like a comment like, no, they're too stupid to even get to know in potions. Yeah. And then the in the movies, Pansy Parkinson is in it. Um, also in the movies, Padma Patel is in it, so she would be another Ravenclaw. Also in the movies, Katie Bell is in it, so. Yeah. <laughs> but also in the, I said Padma Patel would be in Ravenclaw, but in the movie she was a Gryffindor, Gryffindor. so. <laughs> um, and then three Gryffindors, the trio, um, and then one Hufflepuff, who we know is Ernie Mac, because he, like, sits with the trio. So I think that's why we know there's 12, because I think there's three tables of four, and it's, like, mentioned that the other two tables are all Ravenclaws and all Slytherins. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Harry, like, makes the comment, like, oh, we have to sit with Ernie because... Yeah. Like, and he doesn't want to. (laughs) (laughs) So then, um, finally, the known professors. So, (laughs) apparently, Professor Swoopstikes um, was in a portrait as was at the Wizarding World, um, that labeled him as Potions Master, apparently, and I guess he was also a Tetzel T- Tornadoes fan, so, would have gotten along with Cho. Cho, yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have Horace Slughorn, who taught from 1931 to 1981, and then again, 1996 to 2016, and I don't think I ever put together that he taught for literally 70 years. How old was this man? <laughs> So old. Because we know that he started teaching in 31 because it's in that little, like, short yeah thing. Dang. And in 2016, like, I think he just retired. That's not because he died. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, <laughs> and then, obviously, we had Severus Snape in that interval from 1981 to 1996. Yep. Okay, so I have a list of known potion ingredients and kind of their real-world uses and if it lines up at all with what they're used for in the wizarding world. So it is a pretty big list, but I did try and keep it to, like, things canonically mentioned like ingredients canonically mentioned in the books as well as if there was like an interesting fact along with it and for the most part that's true I think one or two ingredients aren't actually canonically mentioned but like their special fact was like too good not to mention it um a lot of the potion stuff on the internet is video games because a big portion of a lot of the video games are like making potions so So the first one is aconite, which was mentioned in the first ever potions class in Sorcerer's Stone. It's one of, like, the questions that um, Snape asks. And it's also known as monk's hood or wolf's bane. And in medieval Europe, aconite was used as a poison and animal bait as well as, like, on, on the tips of arrows while hunting, especially wolves. So that's how it got the name wolf's bane. And it's a member of the buttercup family, so it's a wildflower, and it's an ingredient in the wolfsbane potion. Hmm. So, asphodel is another one of those mentioned in the first potions. Oh, actually, one more note about aconite. So, I guess on the wiki, it said that it was mispronounced in the movie as, um, like, what was it? 
like a, a night a or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It was like it, it. It sounded like aconite, but it was it was like acamite or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's actually true or if somebody just like thinks that that's what Alan Rickman said when he actually said aconite, but whatever. Asphodel is another one of the things he mentioned in the three questions at the beginning of the first potions class. And this is a member, it's a flower, and it's a member of the lily family. And the ancient Greeks associated it with death in the underworld. And they believed there was a meadow of asphodel in the Elysian fields in the underworld. It's also thought to be a favorite food of the dead and is commonly planted like at grave sites. And it's used in the draft of living death. And I've seen some theories on the internet talking about how, like, the stuff he, that Snape mentions, that one class is, like, a not, like, um, like, a hint to Harry or, like, to the reader about, like, his hatred of Harry. Because, like, Asphodel is, like, about, is a member of the Lily family and, it like, represents death. Um, so they might have, like, a symbolic meaning to Snape. Um... Bat spleens are used in the swelling solution. And then a bezoar is a stone-like mass taken from the stomach of a goat and is used as an antidote to most poisons. So the actual bezoar is normally made up of hair, plant fiber, and other indigestible matter. And in Chinese herbology, it's an object that's used to remove toxins from the body. And the word bezoar comes from the Persian word padza. Probably pronounce it wrong, um, and it means protection from poison. And I'm pretty sure a bee, like a bezoar is like a real thing. So obviously, if it was used in Chinese herbology, um, so the horn of a bicorn. Bicorns have two large horns and shed them annually. I believe this is like in Wizarding World information. I don't think there's an actual animal called a bicorn. I could be wrong. Um, and a powdered bicorn is used as an ingredient in polyjuice potion. And the author has said that she included them in the potion to represent duality. So there was, there's a Pottermore article about polyjuice potion. And there's a writing from JK, talk, like her thoughts on the polyjuice potion. And she goes through and talks about like the symbolic meaning of each ingredient. So for each uh, polyjuice potion ingredient, I'll say what they represent. And that's from that Pottermore article. Okay, so a billywig sting. The sting of a billywig causes giddiness followed by levitation. And a dried billywig sting is a common potion ingredient used in the wide-eyed potion. And it is suspected to be an ingredient in fizzing with bees. That I don't believe is canon information, but I thought it was kind of fun. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Then a boomslang skin. So the skin shed from a boomslang, which is a snake, and... I did not know that, <laughs> um, but it's an ingredient in the polyjuice potion, and it was made to represent the shedding of one's like outer body um, to obviously take on the skin of somebody else. And then Dittany is so many plants in the real world go by the name Dittany, but there's one in particular, Dictaminus albus. And this matches the description of what Dittany is supposed to look like in the wizarding world. And it's also known to be used medicinally. And Dittany is a healing herb. And it's used multiple times by Hermione throughout the series to, like, heal the trio's injuries. Like, I think Harry soaks his hand in Dittany in order 
And it's used for Ron when he's splinched in Deathly Hollows, I believe. Yeah. I think so. Um, then Eli's, when the, this is a fun one, when the trio went to St. Mungo's, a portrait on the wall of a medieval healer told Ron that to fix his spad groy, he needed to stand in, stand naked in a barrel of Eli's during a full moon with a tall liver tied tightly to his throat. And there was a note on the wiki that was like, it's unknown, the like, validity of this statement. <laughs> So, um, so fluxweed is a plant that's a member of the mustard family, and it's known for its healing properties, like in the real world. And it's an ingredient in Polyjuice Potion, and was chosen because of the word flux, and represents the muta- mutability of the body, and as it's changed into another. So, like flux means like in constant change, and like yeah. in a constant state of change. And human hair, obviously, using the polyjuice potion, or a bit of the person you're turning into. It doesn't have to be hair. Um, Horn slugs are used in the cure for boils potion. And then an infusion of wormwood was another one of the things mentioned by Snape in that potions lesson. And wormwood can be used medicinally to help with digestion, as well as it's used in some alcohols as, like, flavoring, I think. And it's used in absinthe and vermouth specifically Uh, um but it's used in the draft of living death and the elixir to induce euphoria which could kind of have to do with its use in absinthe and vermouth you know get a little bit of alcohol in you maybe you experience some euphoria (laughs) and also like draft of the living death like could clonk you out oh yeah oh yeah too much of that (laughs) too much of absinthe you know you never know what's gonna happen Um, and then knotgrass is another ingredient used in polyjuice potion, and it's it was chosen to represent being tied to another person to like knot. Um, lacewig fi- flies is another ingredient used in polyjuice potion, and lacewigs are small green insects, and um, they were used to represent an entwining or binding together of two identities. So like to lace. Yeah. Like, to lace together two things. I think it's interesting that a lot of these are, like, solely because of the name. Yeah. And not, like, the actual properties. Like, it's kind of like the author just, like, went through a list of, like, a bunch of different... Or was Words, like, what yeah. are things that have the word not in it? Like... Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, just common... Because a lot of them are, like, used medicinally if they're, like, yeah. a real thing. Um, and so she probably just, like, looked up a list of, like, medicinal herbs and, like... Yeah. Use names. Um, and then mistletoe berries. I don't believe this one was canon, um, but it's an ingredient in the antidote to common poison poisons, but it's kind of ironic because mistletoe leaves are, like, very deadly. Like, they're very mm-hmm. poisonous. Berries are known to not be quite as poisonous, but still, like, not be pleasant. So. You skipped leeches, FYI. Oh, sorry. Going back to leeches. Um, so leeches, like, historically are used... And I mean, even currently, mod, like in modern day medicine, they're used as kind of like bloodletting instruments. Um, if you ever need to like rid your body of blood for whatever reason, <laughs> leeches are kind of what was commonly used and it's still used today. But they are a ingredient in Polyjuice Potion and they're used to represent sucking the essence of one and into one another. So like taking mm. the life out of somebody and giving it to somebody else. 
So then nettles, sorry, I know this is kind of just a boring list, but I found it kind of interesting doing this research. There's not too many more. Um, and nettles or stinging nettles are, is a plant um, known for stinging hairs that grow on the leaves. I wasn't sure like what stinging hairs meant. That's just like the phrasing that was used. Is it like cactus-like? I assume it's either that or like it leaves some sort of like balm or like oil mm. on the hands that like cause discomfort. I don't know if it's actually like pointy or if it just like causes discomfort. I'm not sure. I'm not a botanist guy, sorry. <laughs> um, and it, they're using the cure for boils, but they've also been known to just be a medicinal herb um, dating back to ancient times. And then puffer fish eyes are used in the swelling solution. I think this is another one that wasn't canon, but was just like, like clever, you know, puffer fish obviously like blows up, it swells. So, and then salamander blood has healing and rejuvenating properties and is used in the strengthening solution. Again, I think this is one that isn't quite canon, um, but it could be a reference to the fact that salam salamanders can actually like regenerate and regrow their limbs. Um, so kind of like using it in uh, rejuvenating potions. I thought that was kind of cool. And then the unicorn horn is used in an antidote to common poisons. Um, I thought it was interesting because we learn about like unicorn blood and its healing properties. So even the horn has healing properties as well. It's probably just not like quite as potent as the blood of a unicorn. And then lastly, valerian root. So it's used in the draft of living death, the draft of living peace and the forgetfulness potion. And it was used in medieval times for its sedative and antispasmodic properties, mm. as well as to treat epilepsy. Um, so I thought that could kind of have to do with both the draft of peace and the draft of living death, like sedative, like calm you down. And forgetfulness, like, kind of. True, yeah. Just like kind of calming you down. Um, maybe calm you down too much and your heart stops. So I th it was kind of fun for me to kind of go through these and see if there's any real-world connection for any of these ingredients. And like I said, for the most part, all of the ingredients listed are, like, commonly used medicinal herbs, mm. but sometimes it's just kind of, like, generally a medicinal herb, um, yeah. and she just uses it in a potion or whatever source assigned that ingredient to a potion because most of these are from video games. Like I said, if it's not from canon, it's from a video game. Hogwarts Mystery or Pottermore, because Pottermore, you used to be able to make potions... So I guess I don't know if you consider that canon, mm. those potion, like, ingredients and recipes. I don't know. I wouldn't, but I think I mentioned this earlier. The more I've done this podcast, the more stringent I've become with yeah. my canon definition. I think Same. I'm, I think I'm too, like, book-only stuff. Yeah. I think, like, seeing the... I think before doing this podcast, I, like, obviously knew there was a lot of stuff out there and had read a lot of it, but, like, when you're doing research for a podcast, like, you see all of the shit that's out there, yeah. and, like, I think seeing all of that has made me, like, like, revert back to just books. Yeah, I think the only thing that I could be convinced of and that I maybe, like, waver on is part of more writings, like, especially yeah. this, like, extra stories with the characters, like the McGonagall story, the Vernon and Petunia yeah. story, and then, like, Fantastic Beasts and Quidditch Through the Ages, which I think, like, you maybe could consider in the book category, because 
Yeah. Those came out, like, congruently. And Beetle and Tales of Be the Bard, like, they came out congruently. Like, they're not 20 years after this series, these books came yeah. out, you know? Anyway, speaking of, of canon, um, yeah. I'm going to go through the curriculum. And this is something we've done on the other um, subject episodes. And so for this, I only included the curriculum um, that's, like, mentioned as something they learned in the book or talked about in the book or the potions they made, um, but I have included some, like, ingredients that, um, some of this Katie already mentioned, but just looking at the potions a little bit closer with maybe not strictly canon stuff. So, in first year, um, we know, Katie alluded to this a couple times, the first questions that Snape asked Harry, he asked, um, what would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? He asks, like, what's the use of a bazaar and what's the difference between wolfsbane and wormswood? Um, and so just the one that everyone always points to, the powdered root of asphodel and an infusion of wormwood. Um, asphodel being a lily, um, that means my regrets follow you to the grave, and then wormwood means absence, and so... Also symbolizes sorrow, so if you combine that, it means I bitterly regret Lily's death is the first thing that Snape <laughs> said to Harry, because Harry was supposed to pick up on that. I'm sure Hermione did, though. Oh, yeah? Because oh, you knew Harry's Can mom you imagine, Harry. like, <laughs> Harry telling Hermione, like, all of the Snape's memories, mm-hmm. being like, yeah, like, Snape had a thing for my mom. Like, she's like, and she's like what that meant, the no, I, class. No, what if she was just like... Yeah, like what? <laughs> you didn't know that Snape was in love with your mom, like that. He, he told, told you. you that, that was the first thing he said to class. you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you knew that. <laughs> I thought um, that was, like I thought everybody knew that. Did not? Did not everybody in the class pick that? Pick up on that? <laughs> uh. Uh, so anyway, the only other thing we know, I think, in the books, um, in the first book, of of potion is that their final exam was on forgetfulness potion and non-canon um the ingredients include lethe lethe i think it's leaf that's how leith. i've pronounced it i don't know if that's correct leith. though okay we're, we're gonna we'll go with leaf river water um and so like the leaf river is one of the five rivers of hades and this is the one that souls are like said to drink from before being reincarnated so they don't remember their past lives so forgetfulness potion pretty spot on there i don't know why you need any other ingredients then but it also has mistletoe berries and valerian sprigs and then in second year we know they had homework on flabberm mucus and hair raising potion and I think they also learned how to make an, a hair-raising potion. Um, and they made swelling solutions as well. And this is the class when Harry sets off fireworks to Hermione can steal ingredients. And it causes a lot of people to swell up because he throws the firework and it, like, people's cauldrons explode everywhere. Um, and so Snape has to like give them the deflating draft to, as an antidote. And as Katie mentioned earlier, one of the ingredients in swelling solution is puffer fish eyes, which, uh-huh. Um, and then also bat spleens and dried nettles. In third year, um, they learned about undetectable potions, and they had an essay on shrinking solutions. They also made confusing concoctions, um, 
which have some ingredients. Uh, scurvy grass, lovage, and sneezewort. Okay, I think those so, are Hogwarts, sorry, or Wizards Unite. That might be. So I looked up those because I was like, oh, one of these has to be like an herb that causes mm. like confusion or just like paranoia or just, you know. But it's not the case. And I even looked up scurvy because like scurvy, was it scurvy grass? So I guess scurvy is caused by a defic- like a deficiency of vitamin C. Vitamin C, yeah. And I guess like the thing that, this is specifically like pirates and sailors because it was very common for them like while out on the water um they would like eat what they called scurvy grass to prevent scurvy and it like was high in vitamin c Mm. um so i like looked up scurvy and i was like oh i wonder if like one of the symptoms of scurvy is like confusion but it's not so whoever came up with the ingredients like really dropped the ball because i feel like there's gotta be something out there that like an herb or yeah. a plant that you eat that causes you to be confused. Like I feel like that's a pretty yeah. common like symptom of stuff. So I was a little, I was a little annoyed by that. Uh, so then we also have shrinking solution in third year, um, and I think they had to write. So they had to write an essay on it um, at the end of their second year and begin like turn it in at the beginning of their third year. So I think this is like something that Harry is talking about in the first chapter. A prisoner. Because yeah, he talks he's talking about his books being locked up. Yeah. And then they brewed. Um, the first potion they brewed was shrinking solution that year. And so Katie has so kindly put the the instructions for shrinking solution um, in the notes here. Which are obviously not canon. But interesting. So... Take notes at home, everybody, to make your shrinking solutions. Step one, juice two shrivel figs and add their ruby blood to your cauldron. Step two, stir slowly, gently heat your potion. Chop four daisy roots more finely and add to cauldron. More finely than what? (laughs) Okay. Add, Add five hairy caterpillars. Add well shaken wormwood. Stir vigorously. Juice four leashes and add. Stir slowly and with caution. (laughs) Shake rat spleen and add to cauldron. Is shake like a um, a uh, definable amount? You know, because like I assume it's in like a shaker bottle, and you just like give one. Oh no, because it says shake and add, so I think you have to like shake it up and then put it in. Just, like, one rat To, like, plane? break up the rat's plane, maybe. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, fun fact, I work with mice spleen sometimes. Gross. <laughs> I know how to take a spleen out of a mouse, so... Can you, can you go to work rat. and send me a video of you shaking a mice spleen, please? <laughs> I'll do it next time I have that? to get some. <laughs> um, add a splash of cow bane. Stir slowly. Heat on high temperature, and then cast the shrinking charm. Yeah, so I pulled this from... It's like, why couldn't... If you need the shrinking charm, why couldn't you just use the shrinking charm? (laughs) Um, So I pulled this, the source on this 
ingredient list recipe, whatever you want to call it, is the Wonder Book Book of Potions, which is an augmented reality book that was offered by Sony and Pottermore. I couldn't find whether it was like a portion of another video game or if it was literally just like a digital book. So if anybody knows what that is, like mm-hmm. let me know because the information was kind of confusing. Um, but yeah, I thought like the source is definitely sketchy, but I thought it was kind of cool to at least see like an example done of like what a full potion would look like, you know. Yeah. That is cool. Alright. So moving on to fourth year. Um, they learned about some potion antidotes. And they also learned how to make the witch sharpening potion. Um, so Snape taught this potion to the fourth year students after the second task in the Triwizard Tournament. And armadillo bile might be an ingredient. Because it is what Harry spilled to stay after class to listen to what Snape and Cargroff we're talking about so yeah like unless figured, he was just carrying around armadillo vial for no reason yeah i like figured it could be one of those like stock ingredients um yeah. that they just like had on hand but i think it'd be like pretty safe to assume that it was an ingredient in the yeah. tarpening potion maybe armadillos are really smart i don't know they are oh, okay there you go <laughs> shitting you oh <laughs> i totally believed you um all right so that's all we know about fourth year um, wasn't a super academic year. <laughs> There's too much <laughs> Triwizard Tournament. I mean, that's the only thing that happened in fourth year. Didn't you listen to our movie episode? Um, fifth year, uh, we know that the Harry has homework on Moonstone uses and strengthening solution. Um, we actually know of three potions that they brewed this year. So, um, the draft of peace was the very first class of the year and Snape, like, totally gets rid of Harry's and gives him a zero. It's very hard to make and can put the drinker in a deep sleep if done wrong. And some of the ingre- or the ingredients include powdered moonstone, syrup of hellbore, um, powdered porcupine quills, and powdered unicorn horn. And then the next one we see is the invigoration dra- draft, um, and Snape smashes Harry's vial of this. Are we sensing a common thread? <laughs> but Harry's actually like proud of this one, and then Snape smashes his vial, and then Harry goes back to get another vial, and Hermione's like, Harry, I already cleaned your cauldron, because she was just trying to be a good friend. And then we have strengthening solution... Um, guess what? Snape vanished this potion of Harry's. <laughs> this one was actually, like, it was actually bad. Really bad, because he, Harry had been trying to eavesdrop on Umbridge, like, observing Snape the whole time. Um, so, like, this is maybe the most, like, Snape has the most reason to vanish this, but still. Snape's a piece of shit. Um, and the ingredients include salamander blood and powdered griffin claw. Okay, wait, sorry. We can cut this out or we can keep this in, but I just thought of something. We should say that we will release a Harry episode when we get to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. We will only release a Harry episode if we get to... Because I was thinking, like, oh, we should do, like, something like that for Snape. But then I was like, no, we should do 100 for Harry. Go big or go home. 150 for Snape. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Um, All right, and then in sixth year... 
Um, they have to write an essay on everlasting elixirs. Um, and then there's like a group of potions that they talk about in the first class, but they don't actually brew because they're like really hard to do. Um, so Felix Felicis, obviously, because Harry like wins that in the first class. Um, and then Veritaserum, Amartentia, and Polyjuice Potion are all like potions that Slughorn brewed before the first class and like had on display as examples of like potions they should be able to brew when they're like done with their NEWTs which is funny because Hermione brewed one of them four years before um but obviously Draymond watched her do it so <laughs> give them credit where credit's due Audrey um but obviously Veritaserum is truth potion Immortentia love potion and Polyjuice potion we know what that does <laughs> so then um they're, they have a class where um, they are given, like, different blended poisons. They're all, like, given different poisons. Harry's is described as garish pink. So, like, on the wiki, it's called garish pink blended poison. That's not the actual name. But um, they get an unknown poison, and they have to brew an antidote by the end of class. And this is when Harry doesn't do anything, because, like, there's nothing in the book. And then he's just like, ah, a bazaar, and he just, like, puts it down and Slughorn's like marvelous so Harry cheats is what you're telling me <laughs> but during this class they're learning about Goldpilot's third law which is that the antidote for a blended poison cannot simply be created by finding the antidotes to each separate poison in the blended hole and mixing them together like you it has to be a different poison or a diff different antidote which I think is interesting yeah I don't know what Goldpilot's first and second laws are I would assume he has them, but maybe they didn't, they're not that important. Uh, well, it's kind of like the element, what was it, like the elemental fundamentals or whatever of transfiguration that we talked about. The fourth law, the, yeah. yeah. We didn't know the other ones of that either. Yeah. Um, and then, finally, we have the elixir to do, induce in euphoria. Um, so this is the class one, like, most of the students are off taking their apparition test, but since Harry his baby he's in <laughs> class and slughorn's just like it's like when there's not enough kids in class and the teacher like doesn't want to waste time teaching a lesson so slughorn's just like brew something exciting and harry brews this and it's like kind of when he's trying to woo slughorn yeah so lastly we're just gonna talk a little bit about snape as a teacher slash snape as a poison poisons master potions master um so snape was hired to teach at hogwarts in 1981 and so we know that slughorn taught until 81 so it's kind of assumed that like snape started like september of 81 and like slughorn finished june of 81 um and this is also so like we know this for like a couple different reasons one there's like a quote in order I believe, like, Umbridge asked him, like, how long he's been teaching. I think it's order anyways. Um, and he says, like, I've been teaching for whatever it is, however many years it is, like, 14 or 13 years, depending on which book it's in. Um, and then also we know that, like, he was hired post him hearing the prophecy concerning the Potters because that, at that point is when he reaches out to Dumbledore to tell him about the prophecy. And then so I kind of, I don't know if this is, like, canon or if this is me just, like, thinking this but like did Dum I have Dumbledore hired him to help like protect him from Voldemort and like keep him close 
and kind of use him against Voldemort. Like, Dumbledore was able to, like, feed him the information that he wanted him to have. Um, I don't know if, like, the reason is ever really spelled out in the books, though. Yeah, I feel like it's just, like, it's, like, part of the exchange. Yeah. Um... But that's kind of, that's a good point. Like, I feel like the they spell out in the books, like, you will act as a spy for me. Yeah. But they don't spell out, like, you have to teach at Hogwarts, do they? I don't think so. That's why I was trying to remember, and I was kind of, like, looking up stuff online, like, when did Snape start? Like, why did he start teaching? And it was just kind of, like, there wasn't a real, an- there wasn't, like, any quotes from the book that people had, like, pointed to when they answered the question, yeah. you know? yeah. Um, I thought about going back to reread that part because it'd be pretty easy to find, like, that conversation with Dumbledore because I know when it takes place, but I did not do that. So, here we are. (laughs) Um, Then, obviously, it's very widely known that Snape wanted the Defense Against the Dark Arts position, but Dumbledore hired him to teach potions. And, like, why did Dumbledore do this? So, the answer that's given to us in the books like a common quote is that Dumbledore like never trusted him enough to give like to get him that close to like the dark arts like I think he'd be afraid that he'd like revert back to being a dark art practicer um but I was thinking like does Dumbledore ever say that like is that ever something that Mm. Dumbledore says or is that what like people assume or like Snape assumes because I think the quotes come from Snape like I think he says like Dumbledore never trusted me enough so I guess like you don't know if like Dumbledore told him that or if that's just like what he assumed because I feel like Dumbledore trusted him like implicitly yeah I don't think it ever really came down to trust I could see him maybe like not wanting to like tempt him with the dark arts and I think maybe at the beginning when he was kind of like feeling out Snape's trust like almost punishing him by giving him potions you know like earn it um but I also saw some stuff online that was saying that like Dumbledore wanted to protect him from the curse on the defense against the dark arts position oh yeah which I could also kind of see but I could also see like Dumbledore not like really buying the curse as like a real thing you know but I feel like the curse is like maybe some kind of like complex ancient magic that Dumbledore would like not not yeah. that the curse is ancient, like, we know it came from Voldemort, but it's kind of, like, not really understood magic. Yeah. I think the other possibility is, like, because now that you say it, like, I don't buy that Dumbledore doesn't trust Snape. I just feel but, like there's so much emphasis in the books placed on that, like, Dumbledore did trust Snape, you right. know? Exactly. So I don't, I don't buy, like, I think that's just the, the, it, answer that everyone like in the books that doesn't know the full story gives yeah but I think that it would potentially have blown Snape's cover if he was Mm. a defense against the dark arts professor Mm. and like I think that would have been a lot harder to like not that they end up having great defense against the dark arts professors (laughs) but I think like, Snape could not have, like, done a good job with his teaching, um, and kept his cover as a Death Eater, especially, like, like, well, I guess, like, by six, like, he's doing that, but 
I don't know. It just, it, I feel like it would have been a weird book for, like, to convince Voldemort that he was, like, still a Death Eater, you know? Like, it yeah. just, like, it's kind of, like, comical. It's, like, safer to have him be the potion master. Also, another right. thing is, like, I honestly think that Snape was better at potions than he was Defense Against the Darker. It's, like, yeah. he is one of I the like best potioneers, I think, like, of the, like, modern period that Harry Potter takes place in, you know? Yeah, yeah. So there's also that. I think he was just, like better at potions as well he might have been more passionate about defense against the dark arts or the dark arts but i think he was better at potions hmm. and then i didn't really want to get into too much of like snape as a teacher because that'll probably be a section in our snape episode if and when we decide to do one so i just kind of wanted to talk about like when he was hired why he was hired and specifically his like relationship to potions but if there's anything you want to say about him as a teacher. No, I don't know. I think that's, like, a much longer conversation in, like, regards to Snoop's character. Like, his yeah. personal integrity. The fact that he's, like... I mean, he uses his power as a teacher to bully students. And, yeah. I don't know, we always kind of... People always reference, like, oh, like, he was teaching them. He's teaching them better than Slughorn was. Because, like, you see, like... Hermione, like, excelled under Snape and, like, struggled a lot with, like, the Slughorn potions, um, because Snape just, like, gave them the information on the board and didn't, like, give it to them from the book that was wrong, but I still think that, like, he wasn't actually teaching, like, that's not, you know, like, he I mean, just he wrote stuff just... on the board and then walked around and tormented people, like, if you really yeah. wanted the students to learn potions, he would have, like, told them, like, this is how... Like, the book says to do it, but this is the better way. And, like, yeah, actually why? explain to them what they were doing, what he was doing, instead of just, like, expecting them to pick up on it. And I think, like, one of the baseline things about teaching is, like, respect for your students and kindness to your students. Because, like, without that, like, a student's not going to learn anything. It doesn't matter how good you are at explaining something. So, like, he really passes, or fails to pass, like, even the first test, you know? Yeah, I think that, like, talking about him as a teacher is so, like, integral to his character and who he is as a person, kind of like you were saying, that I don't think we could have, like, an isolated conversation about him as a teacher without getting too far yeah. deep into our, like, thoughts and feelings about him. So I think we'll save that for a Snape episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And we're the hosts of Out of Contracts, a show where we watch and talk about a random episode of Star Trek every other Sunday. For each podcast, we've used a, a random number generator to select an episode of any of the Star Trek series. And then we talk about the story of the episode, what the writers hope to accomplish, and how the episode fits into the larger tapestry of Star Trek as a whole. The thing is, though, that each of us has only seen about a third of the Star Trek episodes in existence, which means that sometimes I'll watch a late period Deep Space Nine episode and have no idea what's going on. It's fun! So, if you've ever wondered about the logistics of love on the holodeck, or what it would really look like if all the water got sucked out of your body, then listen to Out of Contracts every other Sunday at outofcontracts.podbean.com or wherever you download podcasts. So, lastly, we have our pop quiz. Um... Which, like, for some reason I feel like we've done before, but I'm, like, 90% sure we haven't. I don't know why I felt like we've done this before, but... I'm pretty sure we haven't, because I thought we had done Favorite Potion. Mm, 
I think we Maybe have. We haven't. I feel no, like we have. No, I think we've done favorite. I, I bet that was the Slughorn episode that we yeah. did favorite potion. So our question this episode is, what would Amortentia smell like to you? Because in the books, we know that everybody, it, it smells different to everybody based on like their favorite smells. It's kind of maybe alluded to that being what yeah. it smells like. Their favorite smells and like things that are significant to them. Yeah, like I think Hermione, this might be a movie quote, so sorry. I think it's like fresh part, like parchment, freshly, freshly cut grass. grass. The and toothpaste is toothpaste a movie that's is not in the books. Yeah, but. So. And, then and then like Harry says like something flowery that he thinks he smelled at the burrow. So like Yeah, it's like Ginny's scent. Yeah. Um, and then I think like treacle tart. Like Yeah, well that's his favorite dessert. Yeah, I think there's something like food. Yeah. Um, okay, so our listeners, um, Lisa said this, that is such a hard question. Which, <laughs> That's fair. Um, I feel like every time I go to answer this question, I come up with, like, 20 different things. Mm. Um, Sal said fresh-baked cookies, new car smell, and microwave popcorn. Oh, new car smell would be, like, one of my, it's one of my least favorite smells. Like, the <laughs> leather, the smell of leather, ugh, makes me feel sick. And then Anne said freshly cut dra- grass, jasmine, and anything baking with cinnamon. Um, so some creative answers there. I'm just really I... glad that we had no psychopaths answer gasoline because... Oh, no. That's disgusting. If you... Because I think there are some people out there that like the smell of gasoline and I... Like, they have to be psychopaths because that's... <laughs> you're crazy. All right. I'm going to limit us to four. Maybe five. Okay. I have four. So I'm going to say we can't... Two, so that's okay. Nice. Okay. Um, so mine are like... Old book smell. Um, c- coffee, like, mm. while it's brewing. Um, campfire, or just, like, fire, and, like, in general, because, like, fire is, like, my favorite smell, probably. And um, the last one is kind of weird, <laughs> but I love the smell of, like, freshly, I don't know, Freshly, like, put out mulch. Oh, okay. okay. Like, when, it's like, like the in the spring, the when everyone's, like, like, fixing their gardens, like, the smell of mulch is, like, my favorite smell. Like, I'm obsessed with it. Just, like, it's, like, just, like, an earthy smell. And I love when you just, like, are walking down the street and it's, like, everywhere. And it's, like, you can, like, feel, like, coming off the, the gardens. <laughs> okay. So... Like a lot of things in life, my philosophy on it is the sweeter, the better. So I like the candles that I gravitate towards are like toasted marshmallow, cupcake, like butterscotch macchiato, like caramel coffee, like stuff like that. Um, So like that warm vanilla sugar scent that like Bath and Body Works does Uh, is my favorite favorite so I'd probably do like um the warm vanilla sugar body spray from Bath and Body Works I really love the smell of like rain that's like one of my favorites Mm. so those were the two I kind of had coming in um but I think I might add I really like the smell of like the ocean and just kind of like the fresh air at the ocean like the breeze at the the ocean. ocean 
I would never like want a candle of it. And I think for me, that's more of like an emotional scent than like, mm-hmm. I actually enjoy the smell of it, if that makes sense. Just like okay. the memories associated with like the ocean So I feel like it would be in your amortizer though. Yeah. I think it would probably be, those are my, prob- those are probably my three favorite. Just like straight sugar. <laughs> um, two. <laughs> Sugar candles and <laughs> sugar candles, rain, and a rainy beach. There you go. That's yeah. all I need. <laughs> all right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Um, I feel so silly doing this spiel, but you can find <laughs> us anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, with episodes dropping every other Tuesday or every other Monday, if you choose to become a patron, and. Um, please, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, just like go, leave a rating, leave a review. It takes like 30 seconds. Um, all you have to do is like click five stars and then write like, this is my favorite podcast of all time. Katie's I love Katie and Audrey. Host. I wish Audrey would kick Katie off the show. <laughs> uh. Hijack the podcast. <laughs> No, um, but yeah, leave us a review. It's super helpful. And we would love it. Yeah. You can find us on social media. We are Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Wizard Studies on Twitter. You can join our Facebook group if you want to answer our pop quiz questions and have your answers read on the podcast. Our Facebook group is called Wizard Studies Podcast Group. Um... You can email us any of you have those great episode ideas that I know you all are coming up with for us um, at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. You can also just DM us on any social media website if you feel so inclined. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all wrapped. Mm-hmm.